Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by author and athletics coach, Sue Humphrey. Sue has a long career in women's athletics. She started back before they stopped gender-based discrimination. So we're going to be talking to her today about all the people that she's worked with and, and about how women's athletics has changed over the years. So Sue Humphreys, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our visit. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Well, I've been involved in coaching uh, track and field for over 50 years. Uh, I started when I was 14. So that's why uh, the, the longevity, I think. When I first started uh, showing interest in sports or in athletics, Unfortunately, I was not a real good uh, athlete, but I loved the sports. And so at that time, the only way to do it really was to, um, we, we had like play days in school and things like that, but nothing real structured or formal, uh, except in a club setting through the Amateur Athletic Union. And so I got involved with working with kids that way and uh, coached a little team and uh, it kind of blossomed from there, but uh, I learned into coaching or moved into coaching very quickly when my athletic ability uh, did not catch up with my interest in the sport. Okay, well, what what, what sparked your love for for track and field, both athletic and coaching? You know, it's I'm I'm uh, my paid job over the years has been uh, public school administrator and uh, middle school teacher. So I've always worked with kids and I guess, you know, had good rapport with them and able to have success in communicating ideas back and forth. And so as sports just seemed to be something that I grew up with, um, you know, I joke that I was my dad's boy because uh, he had two girls. And so one of us had to pick up the, the sports bug to match his interest. And so I just kind of got the sports bug from you know, the very beginning. And as I said, athletically, I played softball through high school and was fairly decent at that. But uh, in high school, my freshman year, we had an elective class and it was uh, multi-grade. And so I met a, uh, a young lady who was two years older than me, but she was in the class and we started talking because we were the only girls in the class. And so she was one of the top U.S. sprinters at the time. And so again, through AAU competing in a club situation. And since we didn't have girls sports at that time at the high school, she went over to the junior college there in Phoenix, Arizona, and trained with the Phoenix College boys track team or men's track team. And so one day she asked me, she said, you know, would you just come to practice and you know, kind of be there, help me time or carry things around or mostly just for company. And uh, that's when the bug bit 
that uh, I suddenly started getting involved and interested more in track and field and watching and just the variety of events and variety of activities. Uh, she's competed uh, nationally. And so her folks would take me on the trips too. And I got to see what indoor track and field was like outdoor track and field on a national and a regional level. And it, it just, that's where I got the bug, like I say, and, and living it to this day. Speaking of living it, you've worked with a lot of famous people and and a lot of um, legends, athletes. Uh, Tell us what that was like and some of the people that you've had the privilege to work with over your career. Well, I I have been very blessed and very fortunate to to mix in. And um, when I went to California, I went to California from Phoenix there in the, let's say, early 80s. And uh, was able to meet up with uh, Bob Kersey, who at that time was a coach at one of the colleges there, not at UCLA yet. And he had a team, Wilt's Athletic Club. And the Wilt was Wilt Chamberlain. And of course, I knew who Wilt Chamberlain was just from Sports World. But Wilt had a great affinity toward helping women's sports and funding activities and clubs. And so through Bobby and... Um, the introduction there, I had been coaching one of the top women high jumpers at the time, Colleen Sommer. And so Wilt had, uh, we talked to Wilt about having Colleen and myself join the Wilt's Athletic Club. And uh, he he was agreeable to that. And so that was a great uh, fortunate stepstone for us to get involved. Uh, Wilt, like I say, help finance trips and um, you know, gas money driving to UCLA and things like that. But through that, again, I got to meet and start working with Jackie Joyner, who then became Jackie Joyner Kersey. And uh, the jumps have been more my specialty over the years, especially high jump. And so Jackie was not a real comfortable high jumper. And yet doing the heptathlon, high jump is a key event. And so Bobby saw that Jackie and I had a good rapport and got along. And so he asked me to work with her in the high jumping because they were butt heads at practice and things like that, you know, and uh, it wasn't always a, um, a cohesive coaching environment. So he asked me to work with her in the high jump, which I did throughout her career. Um, at that time, we also had Florence Griffith Joyner there, who, who became then Flo Joe and uh, watched her and trained with her, Valerie Briscoe Hooks. So, you know, it was kind of like the who's who of uh, USA and world track and field at that time. Who would you say was your, was your favorite athlete to work with and, and all the ones that you have worked with? <laughs> oh, I'm not going to go there. No, <laughs> I'm not going to pinpoint one favorite because after after the Wilt uh, experience, then I did come to Texas after the 84 Olympics and was coaching here at the University of Texas and had the opportunity to work with some high jumpers at UT, but also post-collegiate. And so at that time, um, a young man, Charles Austin, came up to me at the uh, Milrose Games, which was a very big meet at that time and still is an indoor track and field meet in New York. 
And he was training and just finished his eligibility at Texas State, which was 30 minutes out of Austin. So it was just down the freeway. And he wanted to know if he could come and practice with us during the week and jump when my other jumpers were jumping because he was pretty much by himself. And so that developed my relationship with Charles, and that was in 1990. And, of course, that blossomed into where he, in my opinion, has, you know, is the best U.S. high jumper ever. He's uh, won the gold medal in the 96 Olympics. He holds the American record outdoors. He holds the Olympic record for men's high jump. And so we worked together from 1990 through 2004, and uh, had a lot of highlights, a few lowlights, and uh, just an outstanding career that I feel very fortunate to have been a part of. Well, tell us about what, what advice can you give parents and coaches of young girls and women who want to get into competitive running and be successful? I would say for a young a student athlete, whether it be a boy or girl, but, you know, girls especially getting opportunities now that we didn't have 40, 50 years ago, but to get involved and to try everything, try all the different sports. Uh, I get concerned a little bit that we're compartmentalizing or, um, you know, focusing kids nowadays into just one specialty pretty early in their athletic career. And I would suggest that coaches and then parents too let the kids have a lot of opportunities. Let them try soccer. Let them try, you know, track, obviously, basketball, volleyball, so uh, tennis, whatever their interests might be, to see where they're, you know, skilled. And that an area that you might not have thought of would be something that they like or an interest. And I think at this, at younger ages, meaning in elementary school, middle school, you know, the variety is really good. And variety now with today, I think the society has created, a bunch of us have very short attention spans because everything is happening so fast and so quick. And, you know, social media, TV commercials here, there, everything's just thrown at us. Uh, that I think our attention spans have really shortened as a society. But that way, if you give the kids a lot of opportunities, that feeds into their interest level and just see what they like to do. And then in high school, maybe start, you know, leading them a little bit more to narrowing it down. And yet, you know, don't pigeonhole them in too young, too early. Just because you liked a sport or you did well in a sport when you were growing up doesn't mean that your child will have that same interest or love. And what I've seen over the years is if the child of any age, the athlete, let's say, of any age, if they don't have a passion and a love for the sport or the event, it's going to be a real short time that they're in it. And then they're going to get bored or disinterested and, you know, just not put in the effort or quit and go on to something else that interests them more. You know, kids today have so many things coming at them. Um, like I say, with the visual media, the social media stuff, TV. I mean, I'm not sure I would like to be a kid growing up today. There's there's so many things uh, tossed at them that uh, I, I think it's a real challenge to be a young, young adult in today's world. 
Yeah, absolutely right about that. Tell us about what what it was like when you first got in as a a, a woman coach coming into kind of like the man's world of coaching. Very definitely a man's world um, and still is to some degree, but not as bad definitely as when I first started. Um, Well, I was definitely looking around a room and seeing I was probably one of the only female or one of two or three females. And that was it. Um, We, I was not always welcomed into the boys club, if you will, or, you know, included in activities. Um, And I was young also, because like I mentioned, I started coaching at like age 15, 16 with little kids, age group teams, like nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-olds, that group. And so my age was an issue and then my gender was an issue. So it was, it was an uphill battle to say the least. And so as we worked through the, the systems and then when Title IX came in and having opportunities now to compete for scholarships, to have scholarships uh, on a collegiate level, to have high school program options. And that was good and bad because what happened then is the high school programs all of a sudden on the girls' side went from zero to all of a sudden everybody has to have a team or a program. And so the coaches that the high schools had put into place were not always interested. They didn't always want to be the track coach. They didn't always know anything about the sport. And so they were there more as a placeholder. And so some of our top uh, athletes that had done very well in a club setting now suddenly felt the pressure uh, and or interest to compete for their high school. But the training that they were getting at the time was night and day difference. In other words, the, the club programs were so much more advanced at, than the high school programs were back at the uh, beginning. And so the kids had a pull on them. The parents had a pull. You know, do you have the school loyalty or are you trying to get your uh, child to perform the very best possible so that she could have a scholarship potential? And so growing up in the coaching and learning, you know, at that time, we didn't have Internet. We didn't have YouTube and all of this. So you had to learn uh, by reading, you had to learn by going around and talking to coaches, by watching coaches that were successful, uh, learning and making some mistakes, you know, along the way too, very definitely. And so it was a lot of learn by doing on my part to work my way up, if you will, the ladder to try to get acceptance by the the male coaches who in theory were my peers, but they didn't accept or they didn't see me as that, or they didn't see women coaches as that uh, at the time. And so it even was a point when um, in 1974, I think it was that uh, Arizona state I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. So I went to Arizona state university as a student and graduated from there and was teaching full time in the area And when all of a sudden Title IX came in, the university was basically mandated that they needed a woman's track program now. And so what they did to economically deal with it, and I can understand this, is they made the assistant men's track coach the head women's track coach also on paper. 
so that they only had to pay one salary. Then I was contacted to go over as the woman's assistant coach, which would be a part-time job. I had to teach all day, full-time, drive over to practice and, you know, fit in and do the practice and, you know, catch up then after practice as to what all was happening with the team and workouts and recruiting and all of this. So it was a a tough road to work my way through. Uh, I've been called several names by some of the male counterparts because I wasn't just going to get pushed around. You know, I, I felt that I, as I worked my way through and learned different things, I felt that I did deserve some acceptance and some respect and I was getting it from the athletes. It just wasn't always getting it from, again, my peer coaches. So for those who are not familiar with Title IX, explain what Title IX did, what it is, and and why it's it's so important. Okay, well, Title IX is a, a, a national mandate by the U.S. government that, and not just in sports, but in all activities through public education is that women have the same rights as men and that if men have scholarships based on a percentage number of spots, you know, I can get real technical with it, but it's just that women have the same opportunities as men athletically, academically, uh, job-wise, and so on. And so from my point of view, where it came in was that all of a sudden, like I say, we had women's scholastic programs in the high school uh, where women were now able to compete against other schools, other high schools in the area. It was not just a, um, you know, a play day on a weekend and just a little fun activity. It was the same type of competitive situation that the boys have been doing since, you know, creation that, when I was in high school, I'd call it the country club sports that women were given the opportunity, you know, badminton, um, tennis, golf. That Those were our opportunities if we wanted to play interscholastic against other teams, other schools. Uh, you know, in a PE class, you could you played volleyball and basketball and all that and learned it. But you did not have the competition against other high schools in your area. And so then Title IX, when it came in in the mid-70s, all of a sudden that changed. And all of a sudden now, women and high school girls, women, uh, colleges, and so forth, had the opportunity to, like I say, earn college scholarships, to compete. They had budgets now, the teams. And again, the, the colleges now had to suddenly come up with budgets. And this was another thing where you know, the men were not real happy, I think, because they had to now share some money and, you know, share different situations that had been pretty much a men's man's domain since, you know, the 1900s and so or earlier even. And so it opened the door for women to have the opportunities that we have today when you watch the women's soccer team or watch USA basketball, watch the Olympics on TV, and you see the the uh, women competing in gymnastics and track and field and swimming and, you know, doing the same events as the men and to have scholarships. And actually on the women's side in track, the women have more ac- uh, athletic scholarships in the NC2A 
than the men do because it's based on number of participants and the men's numbers get skewed by football teams because the football has like 80, 85 slots. And so then now the colleges have to come up on the other side, 85 opportunities for women, whether it be track, swimming, rowing, lacrosse, you know, just all the different sports. So unfortunately, the men kind of suffer now as far as scholarship opportunities because the numbers that are generated by football. So tell the listeners about your your book. Tell us what we can expect when we read it and where we can get it. Okay. Well, my book is called I Want to Run, and it's a basic primer for young athletes, boys, girls, uh, their parents, beginning coaches. It's how to get involved in track. And it's like if it's definitely for a beginner, it's not, you know, an advanced training module type of book. But right now it's a beginner's guide. How if I wanted to, I watched uh, TV and saw Allison Felix or Noah Lyles on TV and I wanted to be like them how would I get started in the sport? And it goes through a little bit of the history of the sport, um, tells each of the events from the 100 meters all the way through the distances, the relays, the hurdles, all of that, how each of those events are run, the rules, uh, some very basic training uh, ideas and workout ideas. Also, we talk about off the track um, off-the-track opportunities that you need to watch for, like nutrition, sleep, um, your academics. If you're interested in getting a college scholarship, you sure have to have your academics in line. And it doesn't go, you don't want to wait till your senior year to suddenly realize you needed to take four years of English, maybe, and you missed a year. So it's off-the-track preparation that parents and middle school age kids, high school kids, all can be aware of the things and the opportunities that are available. But you do have to do a little homework and make sure that you are set up to uh, to earn some of these scholarships. And it's from a, it's on Amazon, uh, eleven dollars, I believe, is what the latest is. Uh, and you just can search in there. I want to run or put my name in, Sue Humphrey. And uh, it'll pop up there and it looks, you know, it's got a little track on it and the um, just the cover or the title I want to run. It's all running events, not field events in this time, just the running events. Well, is there really a scientific method to succeed as an athlete? Well, very definitely. You need to first have uh, picked the right parents. In other words, genetics plays a large factor into uh, success in any sport. But, you know, that you don't really have a choice in. It's just what God has given you. Uh, But then as you start to learn more about it, it is important that the coach, whether it be the coach or the parents of a youngster, do have some scientific background and some knowledge of the different energy systems and how to train, how to recover the body, you know, a lot of times we just work, 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 train, 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 and you forget the most important part of training, which is rest and recovery. So it it is important for you to know that. 
uh, physics come in. And this, you know, when I was in school, I wasn't too much into physics at all. And yet nowadays I use it every day in my coaching because it explains the hows and whys of various events. So learning, learning about the background is important, but it depends on the maturity and the age of the athlete, obviously. Um, as an athlete gets into college um, or later high school, I would say they definitely need to take some ownership and learn about the event and learn what is going to make them better and what hinders them possibly. I'm, uh, I work with a lot of high school athletes now. And one of the biggest things that we're finding and that I'm having to really pound into their head, so to speak, is the factor that you need to rest. You are not invisible or invincible. Uh, they maybe want to be invisible, but they're not invincible and they can't just run, 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 run and stay up to all hours and do a lot of uh, off the track activities in addition to on the track training and expect their body to perform. You know, it's almost like you have the car and you fill up your gas tank all the time to keep the energy and the gas in there. Well, your body has to be the same way. And that goes whether the athlete is nine years old or 29 or 39 years old. And the older athletes have started to get into that more and to understand it more, uh, building in better nutrition, uh, hydration, uh, you know, their choice of meals and when to eat meals and what to eat. Uh, we've done a good job in, in sharing that. And the more serious athletes have really taken on that and have, have come, you know, to make that a part of their training. Um, parents, though, need to be aware of that, too, especially if it's a high schooler and the child is still at home. And you bring home chips and fried chicken every night and, you know, the diet that you provide your student is maybe not conducive or not the best for athletics, then, you know, there needs to be a little bit of a transition there where you can have other type of foods that aren't necessarily more expensive, but that are better health-wise. And so this is part of an education to the parents that uh, as coaches, we go through too. It's not just training the the athlete, but training and working with the parent too, especially if the child is still at home. Do you have any current uh, upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about besides your book? Well, we just finished a uh, week-long summit called uh, the Gold Medal Coaches Summit, goldmedalcoaches.com. And it was a week-long clinic of all different uh, events 30 different coaches presenting uh, their training ideas and how to work with high school athletes, to work with college athletes, um, all different levels. So it, it was mostly uh, geared for a younger developing coach, but a lot of more experienced coaches have said it was a really good uh, refresher course for them too. So it is still available online, uh, like I say, goldmedalcoaches.com. And you can buy the, um, uh, the different videos and look back at the different days. But it's 30 different coaches presenting different ideas on all sport activities, track and field, not just running, but the field events are listed too. 
Well, how, how can people keep up with everything that you're up to? Do you have a website or, or how can we contact you? I don't have a website yet, but I am on Facebook and I am on Instagram and I am on Twitter. So um, I'm pretty accessible that way. Um, my email is just my last name, Humphrey HJ at, at Gmail. So it's Humphrey High Jump at Gmail. But again, the uh, probably the Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter are the more uh, accessible ones. And it's just my name, Sue Humphrey, uh, will get me get you to me. Okay, we'll close this out with some final thoughts that you have for the listeners. Maybe something I forgot to touch on that you would like to touch on, or just any final thoughts that you have. Well, just to, you know, if you are a parent of a youngster, is to give them as many opportunities as possible and to encourage them. You know, even if they pick something that maybe isn't what you would have picked, uh, sport-wise or activity-wise, encourage them as much as possible and give them as many different opportunities as possible. If it's a young athlete or an uh, older athlete that's listening to this, I would say again is to develop a passion and a love for what you're doing, because then it's not work. I, I can clearly say, you know, over the years that I was working, I'm retired now from a daily job, but I'm still in the coaching. And it seems like the coaching just keeps following me, regardless of whether I have you know, an official job at a school or whether just a parent hears about me and then calls me, will you watch my kid jump and make some corrections? And it's because I have the love and the passion for the sport and for the jumps in particular. Uh, so if you love what you do, then it, it isn't work. And that's what's nice. And that's what keeps me going. And I think we'll keep keep you going, too, once you find that niche that really works for you. Absolutely, ladies and gentlemen, Sue Humphrey. Be sure to check her out on social media. Check out that book. Please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible, especially if you have somebody that you know that wants to get into jumping and track and field and all that good stuff. See Jackson102 at Cox.net for any guests or topic suggestions. Sue, I want to thank you so much for joining me and spreading your expertise to the listeners. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.